Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Just a moment. I'm excited uh, to introduce Josh Sarita to you this morning. Excited also for Elliot England getting baptized and also my daughter Evelyn getting baptized. That's going to be so cool. As well as Kate. Well, I wanted to introduce uh, Josh Sarita to you and uh, just give thanks to God for him and his wife Luba who have been such a blessing to our local church, really from the time that they arrived. Um, it's such a wonderful thing when you encounter uh, a man and a woman who are so committed to want to serve Jesus Christ and to be a blessing uh, to the church, the local church that they're a part of. And um, Josh has a very genuine and sincere desire to serve you, church, and that's one of the reasons John and I just uh, really thank God for him, and so does Luba as well. Um, just this past year, uh, Josh has been serving and is still serving as a deacon of our Crossfire um, Parent Teen Ministry, and Josh and Luba have taken such an eager interest in the lives of our teens and their parents and have been such a blessing to our church over this last year in regards to that ministry. I've had the honor of pastoring the youth over the last year and excited about this upcoming year, uh, being the pastor for the youth. And But uh, having Josh by my side over this last year has been such a blessing to me. Um, and I love his zeal for Christ and his passion for Christ. And I believe you're going to be very uplifted as you hear him preach about exalting Jesus Christ this morning. Our church motto is exalting, proclaiming, enjoying Jesus Christ. And so I'm really looking forward to you being inspired by the Word of God through Josh Sarita as he preaches God's Word to us this morning. So can we welcome Josh as he comes and brings the Word to us? So. Well, good morning, church. Um, as I said before, my name is Joshua. Um, just want to echo what was stated regarding welcoming those who are new here this morning. Uh, we're grateful for you to be here uh, to worship King Jesus with us this morning. Um, so let's just get started. Can you please open up your Bibles to Philippians 2? It is truly a joy to share God's word with you. As we dive into part one of three, examining and kind of getting at our church motto of exalting, proclaiming, and enjoying Jesus. And if you spent any amount of time here at Christ Community, you might have recognized we really do love Jesus. Um, and this is because Jesus wasn't just a man, and he wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus is God. And that changes everything. Amen, church? That changes everything. So let's read from God's word. And I would just encourage you guys, um, church, as we're reading this, do not allow the tendency towards familiarity dull our sense 
see the power of the gospel. As you might be familiar with this passage, let's dive in afresh together, starting at verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The title of today's message is Christ Alone Deserves Exaltation. Let's pray and ask God to help us. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to herald your word, your good news of the gospel to people who are here. God, there is nothing that we would rather do than be excited about your good news. For At one point, for those who have turned to you, we were far off. And yet because of the blood of the cross, we have been brought near to the only God that exists in this universe. The only true God, through the only way, Jesus Christ. We proclaim those absolutes on the authority of your word and nothing else. And I pray that as we hear from you and your word, that that we would be encouraged. We would be encouraged to remember the good news of what you've done for us, that because of those who've repented and turned to you, we can have true life now and for eternity. I pray that you'd bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the author of this letter. And Paul is addressing a church in the Roman colony of Philippi, which is modern-day Greece. But he's not enjoying sweet sunshine, as we see outside today. It's a beautiful day. He's not enjoying the comfort of home. Paul is enjoying a Roman prison while composing this letter. And the reason why I say enjoy is because it's essential for us to consider this context because the tone of the letter contrasts the circumstances of Paul. The tone of the letter His attitude contrasts or is very different than the circumstances of Paul. Throughout the letter, Paul often uses the word joy or rejoice. The first instance we see, and feel free to look, is in chapter 1, verse 4, where he's rejoicing at his partnership with these people in the gospel. The second instance in verse 18, Paul's proclamation of the gospel while in prison to the whole imperial guard. I mean, who does that? Who gets excited about being able to proclaim the gospel while in prison. In the third instance, in chapter 1, verse 25, Paul desire to continue this partnership for their benefit. This is only three references out of 13 to joy or rejoicing. 
This is not the type of word we might expect Paul to use. I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't want to use that word. But it's within this humiliation that Paul can see the risen Christ more clearly. And therefore, he is a living testimony of what it means to exalt Christ and his gospel above everything else. And this is because Christ alone deserves exaltation. Christ alone deserves exaltation. As we go through Philippians 2, we're just going to be unpacking three points today. Very simple. It's all focused on Christ. Go figure. The first is Christ's encouragement. The second is Christ's example. And the final is Christ's exaltation. Christ's encouragement, Christ's example, and Christ's exaltation. So let's dive in and get to work. First point, Christ's uh, Christ encouragement. So after uh, chapter 1, Paul continues his encouragement and exhortation beginning in chapter 2. So I'm just going to read verse 1 again. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, I'm just going to stop right there. We're going to get to this verse 2. And what we see is, if you, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 1, we see this list of any's. The one thing I love about reading scripture is repetition because back when scripture was written, they didn't have bolded font and they didn't have italicized and they didn't have underlined. They didn't have the punctuation that we know today in our English language. And so repetition is significant because it's meant to draw the reader's attention. And we see this list of any's, any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy and a better way that um, really helped me while, while kind of studying this um, was to put this in a question form. And, I, and as I read these questions, I want you, church, to answer them. Like, honestly, in your own mind, think to yourself, is this true? Believer, have you experienced encouragement in Christ? Refreshment from God's word. Have you encountered Christian love? Your love to and from God? Your love to and from others? Christian, have you had any participation in the spirit, the sweet communion of God with God and others? Christian, have you felt affection and sympathy, the mercy and compassion of God and others? And I know I have. (laughs) You, many of you have offered this encouragement. Many of you have offered this Christian love to me and my wife. It's you, church. You have truly been a living testimony of this. And if this is true, then our response, we we can't just remain passive. If this is true, under the authority of God's word, if this is true, we can't just remain passive, church. Verses 2 through 5, I'll read again. So Paul, again, explains, Have you encountered these good things found in Christ and his church? Then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one, one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was, pause, only to five, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So after pointing uh, to the treasures found in Christ in his church, he provides a charge for them to act. He uses this phrase, complete my joy. Uh, Another way that we could phrase complete my joy might be to say, hey, you want to know how to make my day? You want to do me a favor? 
Paul's greatest joy is to see this church joyful in Jesus together. This is clear evidence of Paul's care and love for these people. And I just want to commend the leaders that we have had, both CB and, and John as our lead pastors. I believe that the Lord would want us to, to, to remember how we have at our church those who want to see us joyful in Jesus. And Paul feels this way for his for this body. So how can this church find joy in Jesus and bring joy to Paul? Two pieces within this particular point is to be humble and to be unified. Actually, to be unified and humble. We'll talk about unified first. So first, unity. If you notice, there's repetition. Again, I am a huge fan of repetition. And so if you look back in verse 2, we see this repetitious focus on unity and sameness, being of the same mind, being or having the same love, being in full accord. He uses similar language prior in chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. These are no accidents, church. This is not coincidence. There is no coincidence in God's scriptures. And here's the great truth. One of the beauty, one of the beauties that we can see in Christ's body is how diverse we all are. And each of us has different personalities, preferences, and strengths. Being of the same mind does not mean rejecting diversity for uniformity. I'll say that again. Being of the same mind does not mean rejecting what makes us different for uniformity. Contrary to some belief, God does not want his church to be cookie-cutter Christians who talk the same and dress the same. God has not created us differently so that we can throw our differences out the window. Rather, it's a means of centering our lives around the same focal point, that being Jesus and his gospel. It's a means of utilizing our gifts as talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 and other scripture, for the sole exaltation of Jesus alone. God wants us to use our gifts, church. He wants us to use our diversity for his glory, to be unified, to be of the same mind, to be of the same love, to be in full accord. Unity in diversity matters to King Jesus. So we see this way that These people can make Paul joyful being unified. The second is is being humble and finding humility. So look at Paul's charge starting at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We see this repetition again, this constant reminder. I mean, how many ways can you say the same thing? On purpose, church. (laughs) It's meant to draw our attention. If you're a parent, you know that you have ways of maybe saying things to your kids in different ways. It's for a purpose. He uses similar language prior, again, in verse 17 of chapter 1 in proclaiming Christ without selfless ambition. He's calling out those who are trying to do things for their own benefit. 
And Paul is addressing the temptation of man towards self-interest and self-exaltation. Since the fall, each of us has had the inclination towards selfishness. Genesis 3. A common phrase stated aloud by children and inwardly by adults is, that's mine. Me. What about me? We might not admit it as adults, but we're so savvy with our words. We're so savvy with how we can just fall under the guise of, I'm really humble, but really, if you knew my deepest thoughts, if you're anything like me, I really want it to be about me. Luba sometimes know that um, I will sometimes be so set on eating that I won't even get her a plate or a cup. I'll just straight to the straight to the table. It's those simple things. It seems so insignificant, but when I start to put my own interest of my stomach above serving my wife, that's a problem. And obviously you can then find ways in which your own heart you are tempted because it is in the smallest of things that then when given even more opportunity, it just reveals our heart more. If you're anything like me, humans' natural disposition is not humility. Pride exalts oneself above others, above the glory of God. And this opposes the very unity that Paul is trying to see within this church. Even the use of God-given gifts, listen church, even the use of God-given gifts can be exalted above the interests of others. We often say, this is my gift. This is what I feel called to. This is what I feel I'm good at. Well, what you're good at, what we're good at church can never exalt yourself above Jesus and others. It can never come at that expense. And therefore, the way we treat each other, and this is important, church, listen, if you're taking notes, the way we treat each other in word, in action, in thought, says a lot about whether Jesus is consistently exalted within our hearts. The way that we treat others in word, in action, and especially our thoughts, says a lot about whether Christ is consistently exalted within our hearts. Jesus, in John 13, 35, when speaking to his disciples, says, By this, all people, all means all, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters, as believers who look to Jesus, How are we actively humbling ourselves to maintain a spirit of unity and love? How are we actively? That's that's the operative word, isn't it, church? That there are plenty of opportunities, but there is intentionality needed to be given. That because humility does not come to the natural man, there is a working out of our salvation that comes by the Spirit that isn't going to just pop out of nowhere. It's just not going to come... Naturally, it's going to be involved work by the Spirit. So as believers, how are we actively humbling ourselves to maintain a, a spirit of unity and love within Christ's community, church? As a season that we have been going through, our homes, the way we treat our spouses, our workplaces. You know, my wife and I have been the recipient of your humility and love, and for that we're grateful, church. We're really grateful. You have been an example But let us remember this encouragement and not grow weary in doing good. Now let us say, let's take the foot off the gas and say, well, you know what? I've been humble enough, Jesus. It's time for me to get a break. 
I'm so guilty of that. I'm so guilty of wanting to break from humility because it's a lifelong focus. It's not a temporary fix. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Second point, Christ's example. Christ's example. I'm just going to read again from the scripture. Feel free to look back. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. After encouraging the church to remember the treasures in Christ, he points to Christ himself. Though he was in the form of God, this phrase seems so, again, just so insignificant, but it's not insignificant. This points to Jesus' deity, his partaking in the divine nature as the second person of the Trinity. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is God. And when it says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, this does not suggest that Jesus was not God during his earthly life. He always was God and is God. Within the late 1800s, several German theologians advocated for what was called kenosis theory. This idea that Christ gave up some of his divine attributes while here on earth as a man, but this is a false doctrine to be rejected in accordance with the rest of Scripture. It is not in line with Scripture. Rather, emptied himself and did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped means that he did not use his deity as a ways of easing this earthly life. He brought himself so low by giving up the status and privilege that was his in heaven, that Jesus felt the full extent of this fallen world without respite, without rest. The temptation that we face, the hunger that we face, that you might even have right now. Tired, sadness, pain, hard labor, and death. One reason why he has experienced this is because he's that faithful high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews says. And does this not give us reason, church, to marvel at the kindness of God? That he is not just some distant deity who shouts out orders with a, with a pointed finger. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But one who has provided the only perfect human example the world has ever seen. You will never see anyone like Jesus. One who has dwelt, who did dwell, and is dwelling with his people. If you are a Christian who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, his spirit dwells in you. This is a kind God. No other worldview offers this, church. No other worldview offers this. Ask around. There is no deity that had been willing to slum himself to our level. To come down here, there's no other worldview. You won't find it. Paul continues to describe Christ's example in verse 7 and 8. And pay attention, again, to repetition. Again, I'm, again, I'm, just, I'm just a fan of it. I think it's great. In verse 7, it says, But emptying himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, now remember, he gave up his earth, he gave up his heavenly dwelling and its splendor for this fallen world. 
And when I think of someone giving up splendor for a place of lower status, I often think of uh, celebrities visiting their hometowns. I'm a big fan of sports. And so um, often, you know, I remember when I was in, uh, originally from Bethlehem, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He never came to visit, though. Um, he felt some type of way about that. But in the news recently, you might have read a celebrity who visited his hometown of Akron, Ohio. goes by the name of LeBron James. And he was present for the opening of a public school that was um, founded for 243rd and 4th grade uh, at-risk kids. And that day, he gave a speech. It was great. Media was all over. It was a feeding frenzy. He had countless interviews. He probably gave a lot of hugs and handshakes. Had, a, had even a performance. But after all that was said and done, LeBron James returned to his $23 million home in L.A with the comforts and luxuries that we can only imagine. And as the U.S. Today headline put it, LeBron James, Los Angeles mansion, fit for a king. LeBron James, Los Angeles mansion, fit for a king. Brothers and sisters, King Jesus left a dwelling greater than $23 million. What you can imagine LeBron James's house being, sitting on the couch and watching ESPN with him, not even close. Not even close. No, money of, no amount of money can equate to the glory in heaven and communion within the Trinity, teens, kids. Jesus took on flesh by becoming as a baby, depending on his parents and under their authority. He was one time your age, teens and kids. The Lord of Lords took on the form of a ser- servant, a slave. A poor homeless man. King Jesus concealed his glory within a human body and dwelt among sinners like us. And when a few years passed, he didn't just up and leave earth, church. He didn't say, I'm done, church. The temptation was there. The temptation was in front of him. We see in Matthew 17 where it says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? Jesus Christ, in perfect obedience to the Father, chose to remain here 30 plus years. Chose. He chose. He chose learning like us, eating like us, verbally communicating like us, to use the bathroom like us, to sweat like us, to sleep like us, to breathe oxygen that he created like us. Remarkable. I mean, the word that's operative, church, is that he chose. He chose to live. He chose to serve. He chose to die. Don't believe the lie that Jesus disobediently went to the cross. Because the word of God says, in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is not like you or me who have said, No way, God won't do that. It never even crossed his mind in disobedience. He never gave into the thought of disobedience. The temptation was present and he resisted to obey the father. I mean, can you just imagine if you're anything like me just over this day, over this last week of times where you in your mind conspired against the God of the universe in your own rebellion, 
and indwelling sin, whether it's in conversation that you've had with your spouse or your children, with your coworkers, or you're like, I don't want to do that. No. You do it. That's above. That, that's, that, that made, that's below me. I'm above that. I don't have time for these meager things. No. Jesus, he did it in humble submission. No matter the campaign or the charity, no celebrity in the world will ever match King Jesus. He is an example of laying down his perfect life. And as humans, we have the innate reflex to preserve our lives. We can uh, have this what's called fight or flight modes when dealing with imminent danger. I mean, can you think of a moment where you were in legitimate danger, honestly? In legitimate danger where your life was potentially at risk. Luba uh, knows that sometimes I overthink worst case scenarios. It's one of my, I don't think it's a guilty pleasure. Um, But there's some times where I'll just be driving on the road and I think to myself, if I, you know, my car careens off this bridge, what am I going to do? You know, I'm like, I'm going I'm to unbuckle my wife's seatbelt. I'm going to unbuckle mine because, you know, you've seen that when once you get in there and all of a sudden, you know, think, um, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to lower the windows real quick so I can get out and pull her out. I think about sometimes when I'm in my house and I'm just, I hear something and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so if like, if somebody came through the front door, I would first barricade it and then maybe I would take the extension cord from my lamp to try to kind of maybe do like a lasso or something. Um, um, or unfamiliar locations, you know, sometimes walking around, throw my keys in between my fingers, you know, something I learned from my dad. Um, and so like, I, I am in this constant mode, even in my dreams, I have dreams of people chasing me and trying to take my life. It just it is, I, maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, maybe I'm just on my own here. Uh, but we have, I, we have this innate fight or flight response, especially when you have those to care for. But unlike us, Jesus said no to the temptation of life preservation. He said no, church. Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. This is, this is what our King Jesus, the, 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 the God-man, fully God, fully man. Mark Burns read it this morning. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Think of a time where you have wanted to give someone a piece of your mind. Jesus, out of all people in history, had the right and the power to give someone his mind. Think of Pilate. Think of the high priest mocking him. Those who are scoffing at him on the cross, saying, save yourself. You saved yourself. You said you could save. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his his shears is silent, so he opened out his mouth. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. No life preservation. Jesus chose to lay down his life so we could be offered life if we repent and trust in Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't easy, church, but it was worth it. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. For our sakes, it was worth it. Jesus did not die for his sake, but for our sake, for his glory, for our sake, to be saved. Friend, have you considered the kindness of God this morning? 
Those who haven't believed this morning. Those who haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus. There is no other worldview, religion, or campaign available where you will find a God of the universe so personal by being brought low in human form, yet so powerful in offering forgiveness of sins and his righteousness. No other. You will find no other. If this is in fact true, friend, and I wouldn't assure you it is, not on my authority, but the authority of Scripture, it's not something to be messed around with. Think of the kind offer that is offered to you, that is that is put before you, that I'm just placing, pleading with you. May this kindness lead you to repentance while there's still time. And for the believer, let us dwell upon Christ's humanity and his life, that he endured this fallen world. He can sympathize with your weaknesses. Do not believe the lie that you cannot cast your burdens upon him, that God does not care for you because he did. He proved it by laying down his life for you. And raising on high, sending to the Father, Cast your burdens on him because he cares for you, First Peter says. Don't allow the thought of God feeling distant, the feeling of distance, to drown out the biblical fact of his presence. Don't, don't, don't allow that. Oh, he, he feels, he feels far. No, no, scripture says he is near. He is near. Draw near to him. I'm going to read from Hebrews 2. Church, just let this soak in. Just really, I mean, like, I got goosebumps when I read this. And I hope that it will just inspire the facts to change the feelings. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death. Power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Jesus calls you brothers and sisters, church. (laughs) In every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation to absorb the wrath for sins of people. And this is this is the kicker, right? This is the kicker right here. If you can memorize anyone, put it on your dashboard, put it while you're washing dishes, put it right down with a dry erase marker on your mirror while you're brushing your teeth. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. No other God. You will find no other worldview that offers this. Additionally, church, let us avoid the temptation to become entitled to ease. The prosperity gospel offers us the promise of your best life now. But being prosperous now does not mean that God is pleased with you. If you have abundance now, that does not signify that God loves you more. No, according to scripture, Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. And we just talked about what our master did on behalf of us. And if Jesus was the most pleasing sight for God the Father to see upon his baptism, what does that say about how our life should be when we know that his life was stricken with grief? That Jesus, God the Son, was the most pleasing thing to God the Father 
and yet his life was hard. It's in Jesus' humiliation that we see his ultimate exaltation. In the humiliation, we see this transition. And as, as, as disciples, we must follow his example for his glory and our joy. We cannot create another example. We cannot say, well, you know, did really Jesus say? No, that's a temptation from the enemy. Desire, it, it, it must be discarded. For us to have a, a life of ease, as was mentioned before and has always mentioned, these are the days of labor, church. These are the days that we are not on a cruise ship, but a battleship, a spiritual mission for God's glory. Last point, Christ's exaltation. Christ's exaltation. I'll read verses 9 through 11. Therefore, this is important, church, it's in light of what everything has been said about King Jesus Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Highly exalted means to elevate beyond measure. And Jesus was Highly exalted. Physically, after three days, Jesus' physical body was raised from the dead, church. It was raised, spiritually given authority by God the Father to rule over everything, Matthew 28 says. Both body and spirit ascended to heaven, Acts 1 talks about. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father. That is awesome. If Jesus has raised, been raised from the dead, that changes everything, church. We do not serve a dead God. We do not serve one who wasn't able to accomplish what he set his gaze upon. He, since eternity past, set in motion to put forth a plan of redemptive salvation for you. And the fact that he rose on high and ascended was, was signifying the acceptance of what was done on our behalf. And we see that his exaltation implies, and, and, and what that implies and what Paul means by repetition. What else? Repetition. Okay, so we're going to go back to repetition. We see that, says that Jesus has been given a name above every name, that every knee should bow, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As was stated by uh, Tom this morning, every in the original, just you're going to love this, in the original, so just quick study on Greek, um, every means every. Every means every. It does not take a Greek scholar to know that every means every. Every means all. Every. This implies and means that Jesus is God and demands all worship, no exceptions. It is because in the worship of Jesus, God is glorified And the inverse is true. Listen, the inverse is true. It's because of worshiping Jesus, God is glorified, and the inverse is also true. That in the rejection of Jesus, God is not glorified. But church, friend, God will not share his glory with any other. He will not allow you to be on any level playing field as himself. And we all have these two options. And while God is sovereign, man is also responsible in these options. That we can respond in humility to the gospel right now. 
We can admit that you, we are sinners in action, in word, in deed, and thought before God, that we need a Savior to bring us to God who really deserves to crush us. That we turn from our rebellion and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and righteousness. And in response, Christ is exalted and God will ultimately exalt us. For those who have repented, you have been raised with Christ, as was stated this morning. You have this union with Christ. In some sense, you have been exalted with Christ. And then one day, one day, we will be raised with Christ in his presence. And then later, even later, we will see our physical bodies raised with Christ for those who have turned. That's good news. That's good news. We respond to the gospel with humility now. Exaltation comes as a result. Or we respond with pride now. We say things like, I will not bow to the name of Jesus. I will not bow my knee because of fill in the blank. I will not bow my knee before King Jesus is what can be the hearts of maybe some of you here today. But the facts will override your feelings, friend, because God will humble these people later. It says that God will condemn those who have not turned to the only way found in Jesus. Do not harden your hearts this morning upon hearing the good news, friend. That God has made a way to be in correct relationship with you. Again, just because we've been in church for so long and have heard this for so long doesn't make we're saved. It's either Jesus or nothing. To create or hold to another path would be called Jesus a liar. That's essentially what it is. It's implicitly and explicitly saying, no, Jesus, I can create my own way. Your Sacrifice was meaningless, and I will exalt a false idol in my own heart of what I think you should be. John 14 is clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Either that's true or you're true, but it can't be both. It can't be both. And I'm telling you, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, Paul's saying, God is true. God is the way. God is highly exalted. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. For the Christian, the call to humility provides no days off because Jesus took no days off. The call to humility provides no days off because Jesus took no days off. You got to think about that, church. Like every single minute, the most mundane of of, of, of moments, like let's just think about your week where you zoned out while you're driving on a highway or something like that. There's never been a moment in Jesus thinking about something or any of those Monday that he ever actually sinned and took a day off of humility. That is remarkable. What a God. What a Savior. <laughs> and as Christians, we endure pain and insults and hardships just as our Savior did. But we will also enjoy being exalted as our Savior was. Not to be equal with God, but to be like Jesus in a glorified state. Philippians later, Paul goes on to tell us to remind 
the uh, church at Philippi, their citizenship that belongs in heaven. Philippians 3, starting at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we, we also, church here, eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Can you imagine that? I don't know if you guys have thought about what it's like to be at heaven with your new body. I know you guys probably have like this mindset of like having just like chiseled, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like I probably, I'm, uh, you know, I don't know like what your mind of a glorious body is, but trust me, it's better than what you're you're thinking. Trust me, it's better than what you're thinking. There's no way for us to even wrap our minds around the glory yet to be revealed to us. Because in our finite minds, we really cannot fully understand that. Even though, maybe God will give me some bigger muscles. Believer, you may feel like nothing has gone your way in this life. You feel the daily grind of working, getting up, doing the same thing over again, getting up, doing the same thing over again, getting up, doing the same thing over again. You may feel the sting of death from loved ones, those who you called friends and family, You feel your heart plagued with indwelling sin. Like I've been dealing with this for so long. Ever since I was a teen, I've been dealing with this for so long. I'm done with this. I'm sick and tired of this. God, why can't I just stop doing this? People around you reject Jesus. They mock you. They say you're foolish, maybe even stupid for following Jesus. I'm just explaining my own struggles. Maybe you can relate to those. But make no mistake, you will be glorified with Christ one day. You will. It's a fact. Under the authority of scripture that God gives us, it is a fact. You can write it down. It's already been written. Write it again. Either you go to Jesus or he comes to you. Either way, it's a fact. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? Church. We endure temporary humiliation for eternal exaltation. Temporary humiliation. Everything that you might be going through. Think like, Josh, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right. I don't know what you're going through. But the Jesus, the high, faithful, merciful priest knows what you're going through. And he cares for you so, so much, believer. So as an encouragement, keep working to the glory of God. Keep putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Keep finding comfort in the spirit. Keep sharing the gospel with your friends and family. Take no days off because Jesus took no days off. Take no days off. There are no days off as a Christian. We might get time off from work, but spiritually speaking, we take no days off because God's glory is meant to be sought after. And Jesus alone deserves exaltation. Next week, Ethan uh, will be encouraging us from Matthew 28 about proclaiming Jesus. And church, let us continue to be faithful messengers. We might might struggle like I do. Like, ah, you know, I'm just like, I mess up on the words to say. Trust me, being up here does not make me all of a sudden just equipped every moment to then just go speak to people. I feel inadequate many times just walking up to people and what do they think of me? I think I think I'm foolish. Then I could be my friend. 
Maybe I don't have the words to say, oh no, I forgot to mention that one point about the gospel. What am I going to do? Oh, like, that means they're not going to be saved. No, wrong focus. Jesus is the one who is exalted. Jesus is the one who has the power. He has the authority. And by the Spirit, that is the, He is the equipment we need and His Word. People need Jesus, and we have encountered Him, church. Share with those who, who, who haven't already turned, but share with those who are here, here. The gospel makes disciples and matures disciples. It makes disciples and matures disciples. Do not think that the gospel, as John Piper says, is the thing you use when you get saved. And then you move on to something else. Some plushy gospel. The one that makes you feel better. And not humbling yourself. No. Stick to the true, whole gospel. And share it with your care group. Share it with your care group leaders. Share it with your pastors, they need the gospel. John and CV need the gospel <laughs> every day. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all those who believe. Let us live remembering that Christ is risen, that he is highly exalted. Do you believe that this morning? That Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your gospel. What a Savior. What a Savior. God, I pray that at the proclamation of this gospel, people would not walk away saying, man, that was a good sermon. No, saying, what a great Savior. I did not create the gospel, God. I did not develop these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God, you did in your sovereignty to proclaim to the nations the truth of who you are and our response that's necessary. Choose this day whom you will serve. God, I pray for those who are in attendance who have not bowed the knee to Jesus, who have resisted, who have said, I won't give up my life for the sake of this Jesus because fill in the blank. God, I pray that you would, in your kindness, bring them to repentance Soften their hearts to the gospel while there's still time. And guys, for those who have already repented, those who have turned to you, pray that you would just bring us fresh joy. Fresh joy that Paul was feeling while in this Roman prison. How is it possible that we here in America can have the pleasures of your gospel being going, going forth and yet we can struggle with being joyful? God, help us for not taking for granted the fact that we can just go to a store, pick up a Bible, read it. We can read it online. We could read it anywhere we want. And yet, God, we lack joy. God, help us by the power of your spirit to have joy in Christ, not joy in our circumstances, because the joy in our circumstances will be fleeting. They will come and go. They will be up and down. And yet you remain constant because you remain on your throne. You remain fixed on your throne. And no one will ever in the course of history dethrone you from your kingdom. Ever. We thank you, God, for the fact that you've been brought low from your kingdom here to go back to your Father. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your righteousness. Pray that we would continue to work out salvation with fear and trembling, know that you help us and you care for us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. If I can invite the, the worship team to come up, we're just going to sing a song. Um, so I invite you to, to stand with us, church, uh, to sing.
name above all names as we worship and exalt our risen Savior. Amen. There are no words to contain the glory of our Jesus, and we praise God for bringing us his word this morning. Joshua asked me to read the text from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23 as a benediction for us, so may you, uh, may you be blessed by this word as you go. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen, church. Go enjoy in the exaltation of Jesus this week. Amen.